Welcome to the LDS Military Members Podcast. This podcast was created for military members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, their families, and those who support them. We welcome all who want to drop in for a listen, and we hope you enjoy the stories, advice, helps, and tips that this community offers. Hello and welcome to the season two of the LDS Military Members Podcast. Again, this is for the group, LDS Military Members Group, um, or anyone else who wants to, who, who happens to find us. We are on, our hosting platform is Buzzsprout, but we're on iHeart, Apple, um, Spotify. You should be able to find us on most anything. So please feel free to stop by, listen to season one. We had a lot of good guests in season one, um, realtors. Uh, homeschooling, investing, um, self-care with 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 yoga, um, highlighted some different duty stations. So a lot of good content in season one, and I'm really excited for season two because I think we're going to get even more great content. So today we're, we're very lucky. We're kicking this season off with, with one that is very applicable to just about anybody who's listening um, because whether you're in the Air Force, whether you're a member of the church, or whether you just happen to find us, this is a topic that anyone can relate to. So today, I want to welcome James Christensen. James, thank you for, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, now, James is, he's got a pretty good stat sheet, um, what I like to refer to as the stat sheet. So give you a little bit of background on James real quick. Um, he reached out to me and he's happy, he, was, he was excited to come on and he's got all kinds of great information for us and I really appreciate it. So he is... Former Air Force, he went to the academy in '95. He was a pilot for helicopters, and he he also transitioned to drones. He's, I assume, fluent in Russia because he says it, he he served a mission in Russia, and he attended BYU for a little while. So, uh, pretty impressive. But you're not here to talk about really. I guess we can talk about Air Force, but can you give us a little bit of background on what you're here specifically for and how we can um, get more information on that? I retired in 2022 from the Air Force and I became a marriage and family therapist uh, specializing in couples work. So I live in Sacramento, uh, California, which is where my last duty station was. And I just became just really obsessed in psychology and specifically in the science of marriage uh, in my later years in the service and decided I wanted to be a counselor uh, when I retired. And so that's what I do. And I'm, I'm super passionate about my new job. It's, it's by far the most interesting thing I've ever done. I tell people, you know, people used to be a pilot. That was amazing. I'm like, it, it was. And being counselor is like so much better. So <laughs> it's, it's really a personal passion, passion to me. Well, it is quite a transition for people who are just, you know, who just happen to interact with you going from from pilot to family counseling. Um, now, you're currently I just wanted to cover one one or two quick things. You're currently serving as a nursery leader. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I'm the nursery leader. I've actually been the nursery leader in our, in our ward for a long time. I'm second of 10 children. And so I did a lot of uh, dealing with toddlers when I was a kid. Um, kind of helped raise my younger siblings and really enjoyed that and always wanted to be a dad. And so now my own children are older, but I kind of get my toddler fix from helping out <laughs> in the nursery, which, which is a highlight of my Sunday. So I would, I would take nursery over Sunday school any day of the week. So it's not a hard choice for me. So, so just for fun, what do you think prepared you better for, for leading nursery being a helicopter pilot in the United States Air Force 
or a background in counseling, uh, family counseling? <laughs> oh man. Um, probably the counseling. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I, I've been, my wife used to call me the baby thief. Cause I would, I would go offer to hold someone's child and she's like, whose child do you have now? So, but, um, <laughs> I've always loved little kids, specifically toddlers and babies. And so, you know, having gone to school for psychology makes it so much more interesting because you understand what what the child is going through developmentally and mm-hmm. why they behave to how they do. And it's so interesting to see different children from different families come in with uh, different attitudes toward life and different amounts of fear, different amounts of anxiety. And you can learn so much about a family by watching how their toddler behaves in nursery. I'm sure. Yeah. That's, that's a thought I've never really, really processed through. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I was, I was on the fence. I thought maybe, maybe deployments, helicopter, military, I've been in nursery before and those aren't bad skills to have. (laughs) No. Yeah. There, there is, there's a combat situation here. Our nursery is actually quite small and easy right now. So we did have, let's see, about a year ago, we had 12 kids in nursery back in December of 22. So it, it fills up throughout the year and then it all empties out in January. So it's kind of like this progressive building. It's a, it's a fun experience. <laughs> it does interest me. And I brought it up a little bit in the, in, in, at the very first. So walk me through a little bit, that transition of how you transitioned over from your, your previous career to this career, maybe what licenses um, or certifications you ended up with and how that, tra- like, like how that transition happened. Yeah, generally, it varies. it's a state-by-state system, um, but they're all pretty similar. So in California, you, everybody requires a master's degree. So it was our own marriage therapist. So kind of what happened is I came back from my first deployment in man, maybe 2016-ish. I didn't deploy the first half of my career. I flew UH-1 helicopters, which are stateside only. I picked them because I didn't want to deploy because I wanted – well, my oldest child had just been born and. Um, I really had a choice between a very high deploying career or a very low deploying career. And I chose the low deploying career because I was, I was really, really set on being a good dad. So um, that worked out. And then when I moved into drones, I started deploying and came back to my first deployment. Well, let me back up a little bit. During my first deployment, I started to become aware of just how anxious I was as a person and, and how much it was getting in the way of my job and how much it was getting in the way of my marriage and, how things, you know, my life was not where I wanted it to be. And it had a lot to do with my own mental health. Specifically, I didn't know how to calm down. And uh, it got me in trouble in the cockpit several times where I wasn't able to stay calm enough to manage um, pretty important situations. And so um, that's kind of where, you know, being away from the family, being in another country, you know, just having a lot of time to think, I was like, okay, it's time for me to do something about this. So that's kind of when I, I started learning about meditation um, I started looking into counseling. I told my wife I wanted to go to marriage therapy, and we came home, went to marriage therapy, and and my marriage therapist pretty quickly noticed that that I was unusually interested in what was going on. I would ask him about all of the books on his bookshelf, and I would stay and talk to him after the session. And he suggested he's like, "Well, are you leaving the military anytime soon?" And I said, "Have you ever considered counseling as a second career?" Which I had not. Um, <laughs> but as soon as he said that, it was basically over for me. Um, I, I just realized that. I almost felt like I had to do it. It's kind of, you know, when I joined the military, I felt like I had to join the military. I felt like a calling mm-hmm. and, and becoming a counselor was the same way. It felt like a calling. I felt driven, driven to do it. And um, it's something I'm very passionate about. 
Well, that, that's fantastic that you were able to transition into something that, like you said, you you felt they were both something that there's something inside you, some sort of calling. So that that's great. A lot of people go their entire life without finding that, and you got you got two of them. So I applaud you for that. Yeah, that's great. More the process. I kind of skipped off your topic. The process was um, it's about two to three years of school followed by two to three years of supervised practice. So I just barely got my license last year. And that was a little over five years for me from, from when I started school to when I got my license. But you're working as a therapist basically usually after your first year of school. The general rhythm is you do a year of school and then you start seeing clients under supervision uh, while you're a student. And then you continue seeing clients under supervision. Um, well, you're what's called in California, associate therapist. Some, in some states is called an intern. Um, and so you work under someone else's license until you get your required hours. So California, we have to have uh, 17, I think 1,750 direct face-to-face hours with clients. And um, there, so we have to have 1,700 direct face-to-face hours with clients. And, and then after that, we can apply for licensure. Wow. I would say that's 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 pretty good experience where you can learn as you are practicing as well, supervised. So it and sounds it like really a pretty good program. It is something you learn on the job. And it's similar, you know, to going through pilot training. Uh, you learn to fly by flying. And so they'll put you in a simulator and you're going to learn a little bit in a simulator. Even modern simulators are very good. But in the end, you have to get in the aircraft and you have to make mistakes in the aircraft with someone else helping you out, keeping you alive. And so, yeah, we do a lot of supervised practice um, with just someone guiding you uh, along the way. And I was lucky to have two really, really good supervisors who just um, took a personal interest in me and kind of saw some talent and ability in me and really shaped my um, my ability as a counselor. Uh, one of my supervisors, I asked her when I first met her, she's been a therapist for probably 30, 30 40 years. And I said, well, what is the technique that has been most helpful to you? And she said, EMDR. And so I immediately signed up for EMDR training. Um, EMDR is a trauma therapy technique. And mm-hmm. so I went down that road and my other therapist, my other supervisor, I said, well, what's been most helpful to you? And he said, I've learned this technique called generative trance, which is um, it's a way of helping a person calm down so that they can, uh, like what we're doing in counseling is we're trying to help the brain change. So our brains have certain patterns of behavior, most of which we learn in childhood. Most of them aren't very helpful for adulthood. And so you come into counseling and, and want to be able to behave in a different way, in a better way. And that is difficult because the brain resists change. And so a generative trance is a way of helping the brain um, ramp up its flexibility so that it can rewire itself more quickly. And that, that involves calming down a lot because the more alert or on edge we are, the less the brain is open to growth and to change. So you're the expert obviously in this conversation, but one thing that we talk, we talk about around here a lot is from the out, from, from just looking from the outside, it seems like, like you kind of described it, but what we describe it as is it's like, we're dealing with a lot more adult toddlers, like temper tantrums in public throwing, like not being able to control their emotions. Especially, especially if you're married. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't know so why that the, is. The two I, situations, the two situations that bring out our child behavioral patterns are marriage and parenting, which is kind of paradoxical because those are the two situations where you actually have to be an adult. So, <laughs> yeah. so you have to be an adult to be a good parent. You have to be an adult to be a good partner. 
and, and we tend to act like children as parents and like children in our marriages. And I mean, it's not, it's not, I, I do it too. Mm-hmm. It's a universal human behavioral pattern. Um, and, and if we want to grow out of that, then we have to put in the deliberate effort to, to make that change. Yeah. And w- what's very interesting to me, and, and I want to get to, I'll, fall, I'll, I'll be quick on this, but what's interesting to me is, is the more I learn about the gospel and the way the whole plan was designed for us to progress and learn to control ourselves and get power over the human self, I guess you would talk. Like it all fits. And what you're describing makes perfect sense to me that we need to learn to control those things. So the gospel kind of backs up everything you're saying from a counseling standpoint. So with that being said, have you noticed that it's different to counsel maybe someone who is LDS versus someone who is not a member of the church? Yeah, there's a few things. Um, it, there, there is a difference. And so, so one of the differences is, you know, in, in church culture, we have a tendency to resist growing into adulthood. Um, and so we kind of, there's a paradox here because we tend to grow up and get married and have children more often and earlier than say the population at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but once we kind of, we get to that point where we're in our thirties and forties, we have kids running around, we have a job, we tend to be very responsible, but there reaches a point where there's this transition in life where you have to go from, uh, I'm going to do what everyone else tells me to do. And I'm going to be the kind of person that everyone else tells me to be. And I'm going to kind of follow this external guidance and look for external reinforcement which works really well in childhood and even in early adulthood. And it works incredibly poorly in later adulthood. And so, so you get this thing where, you know, members of the church in their forties just start to have pretty, a pretty rough time. And this was my experience where, you know, I'm, I'm in my forties, I'm deployed, my marriage is falling apart. I'm not a very good parent and I'm just incredibly dissatisfied with my life. And I had to go through this process of learning to turn inward to follow my own, uh, what is it? The, the, the voice of my own conscience. What's the word from the 11th article of faith? The dictates, the dictates <laughs> of my own conscience. So, so, so we talk about that. We're not very good at actually doing that wow. because our culture strongly reinforces the pattern of there's always an answer and the answer always comes from someone else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in life there isn't an answer. And if there is, the answer usually comes from within um, not necessarily, you know, from, from the institution or from, there's just, there's only so much the institution, the church can do for us. It can do a lot for us. It can't do everything for us. And mm-hmm. we, reach a, we reach a certain stage in life where we have to step into a full adulthood of saying, I am the one who's responsible for creating the kind of life that I want to live. And, and the church is going to help me to a certain point, and And then it's on me after that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it does make sense. I know I know personal responsibility and self-reliance and, you know, it is it is up to the individual. Right. Um, so it, it, it yes, makes sense. Absolutely. I can see where there there is a conflict and a struggle there, though, because like you say, for the first half of your life, um, we we tend to act differently. And then once we hit that point, we have to make that switch and that. that yeah, I can see the difficulty there. So. If, if you wouldn't mind, before we get too deep into some of this other stuff, could you walk me through, so say there's people out there who have, I, who have felt like maybe I do need counseling, maybe I could benefit, maybe I'm having some 
some struggles or whatever. Can you walk me through the process for someone who's never gotten involved in counseling? What what is that process like? How do they get you know from from start and then um, I'm assuming different well, the different. Hardest, the hardest part is finding a counselor who's a good fit for you. Um, we kind of have this. I mean, I went through. I remember. So I had never been to counseling. I came back from deployment and I told my wife I wanted to go marriage counseling and. And she and she agreed, and it took us a long time to find a counselor who was a good fit for us. Um, and we didn't know anything about it. And we didn't, you know, you just kind of expect, well, anybody who has a license or anybody who does this is going to be able to help. And that's just not true. So I guess my advice is keep looking until you find someone who's immediately helpful. And that that's kind of what I'm looking for. And so someone says, well, I can help you if you come and do therapy with me for a year. That's not your answer. Your answer is... You know, you meet someone, you do one session with them. You're like, okay, you know, this is the person who knows how to help us. And and if you don't have that, that warm fuzzy after the first session, I would keep looking. Oh, wow. That's something that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do, especially marriage counseling. And, um, I'm not the perfect counselor for everyone. And so, you know, what I do is I just give my first session away for free because I'm like, look, you need to come try me out. And you're going to know at the end of the session, is this the guy for us or is this not the guy for us? And you're not going to know until you give it a try. So there's nothing I could like write on my website that's going to help you figure out whether <laughs> I'm the guy who's going to help you. So <laughs> All kinds of pictures and statistics and good bio. Yeah. All the testimonials, right? Yeah. It's not going to help. Is that, that's, that's pretty interesting, but it's, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm assuming. So I've, I've had a little bit of experience with, with counseling myself and uh, I've dealt with some things and I know that it can be very, it, it can get into very intimate details of your life. And so having someone you identify with who you trust, who has that relationship that you, that, that, that can develop that, that is quite important. Like you're saying, find the right person because yeah, sure. you might be talking about stuff that you really wouldn't. I mean, you're not comfortable talking about a lot of times, so you you have to have that. And it should be uncomfortable. Um, If counseling is comfortable, then then it's not working. (laughs) So, so because, because this is growth. If you go to the gym and you lift a five pound weight and you're like, dang, this is easy. This is amazing. I should go to the gym every day. Yeah. You're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. So you go to the gym and you lift the weight that challenges you. Now you're doing it right. And guess what? It doesn't feel good. If you go for a run and you, and you go and run your easy pace and that's fine, but you're not getting any faster. So, you know, specifically in your marriage, if you want your marriage to be better, um, your counseling sessions are not going to be easy. It, it is not an easy process. Um, it's worth it, but it's not easy. Are there different levels you would you would say with counseling? So one example I would I, I wanted to give is, you know, when you would I remember I used to deploy and we'd come back and the the base chapel would always offer um, some like couples retreats and stuff to 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 reintegrate the family. And, and so I would consider that kind of a, a more minor form of, of working through some things or whatever. So are there different levels? Um, in other words, if someone comes to you and says, we're, we're dealing with this, would, would you say, okay, that'll, that'll, that'll be easy. That'll only take two or three sessions versus someone who's got a really severe problem or. Um, yeah, no, there's different, different levels of severity. So one thing is just how, um, I mean, you know, my marriage for most of my marriage was actually quite difficult. Um, it, we were, we were not very happy together. And so and I've seen worse, 
but there are levels of severity. And so you, you kind of look around the church and, and most marriages are kind of getting by, you know, so you look at most LDS marriages. We, we do have a really, a really good thing about LDS culture is we give marriage the importance it deserves mm-hmm. where marriage is our thing. Like marriage is the most important relationship in your life. And, and it should be, we don't necessarily know how to make marriage an enjoyable institution. So we know how to stay married. We don't necessarily know how to, to fall in love in marriage or how to be in love or even how to love each other. Um, so, you know, you look at most of the couples in church and, and are they really happy to be sitting next to each other? Are they really enjoying each other's presence? And some of them are, and some of them aren't. Um, and so there's, there is a spectrum there. I really think that, I mean, counseling or some form of intentional marriage work is recommended for all couples. Um, and that could be a retreat. It could be a counseling session. It could be reading a book together. It could be listening to a podcast. Um, there's all sorts of resources available. But... Yeah, like this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, there's an <laughs> example. See, you're already doing your work right now. Um, so I, I like how you said that. Like, and, and it, it's a spec. Sometimes you're you're doing better than other times. Um, so what about outside stressors? Um, being military, um, deployments. Um, things that you see when you're deployed or even TDY. I, I went to some places down in, uh, well, I, even my TDY sometimes I, I would bring stuff back with me that I had to deal with or see. Um, so that's just my perspective being in the military. So those out, outside stressors, um, that's also could be something that you could take to take your spouse and, and, and go to counseling for. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of solving solving individual concerns in, in couples counseling. So a lot of counselors would say, oh, you need to go to individual counseling for that. And I'd be like, no, I think this is probably the best way. One of the reasons is that there's a lot less dishonesty when two people in the room. So when I have an individual come into the room, a lot of the time, a lot of what they say is going to be a performance um, where they're trying to, they're trying to paint a picture of everything that's going wrong in their life is someone else's fault. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if it's it's both of them in the room, it's a lot harder to paint that picture because the other person is right there, you know, and so mm-hmm. everything is her fault. And she's like, well, I'm right here. So let's talk about that. So it's just a lot, it's a lot easier to get to the root of personal responsibility for, for personal life problems. And, and I think uh, as a counselor, sometimes you can, I mean, sometimes it's as easy as you just in certain conversations, you're just kind of coaching the conversation. So we've been before and and sometimes it's it's me trying to deal with a hard thing that affected me or that I dealt with and just being able to talk to finding the right way to talk to my spouse about it and the, and the counselor was kind of the coach who helped me get all that stuff out in a good way or helped me know how to do that so um that's my experience is is sometimes it's just as simple as as you're just trying to help them coach them on how to relate certain things to one another. Um, yeah, absolutely. A lot of it is helping, is helping someone calm down. That's probably 80% of counseling right there. Um, most of our problems come because we are not calm and we don't know that we're not calm and we don't know how to change that. It's not a skill that we're taught. Um, I didn't even know that I didn't know how to calm down until I was 40 years old. And then it took me another five years to actually learn how to calm down after that. And in half the days, I'm still not calm. And, you know, I, I kind of know how to deal with it, but at least I'm aware of what's happening. Now, when someone comes into my office 
the greatest gift I can give them is my own personal peace. Um, if you've ever walked, I mean, a really, really good bishop's office and you feel that personal peace that that bishop offers you, I'm not talking like an average bishop. I'm talking like the best bishop you ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, he's giving you this gift of his own personal peace. He's like, I'm at peace and I'm going to share that peace with you. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, I know that when we went through some stuff, we, we did, we did have an incredible, it is like you put it exactly. It was the best Bishop I've ever had. And there's no way I would have been able to be that honest with myself. Um, if it hadn't have been for his piece that I like the strength he gave me being. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's a really good point. Um, and that's the thing is that it, it's more about who I am as a person than what I say. And so you come into my office, I'm going to give you some practical tips. I'm going to do some coaching. Like you said, I'm going to say, well, why don't you express, you know, instead of complaining, let's take that complaint. Let's turn it into request. What would you request of your partner instead of complaining? Um, you talked about the past. Can you take that and talk about the future? So that's coaching. But but that matters less than I'm going to sit here and I'm going, I'm going to show you, I'm going to demonstrate to you what does it look like to be courageous and honest with another person and be kind at the same time. Because cause for most of us, we've never seen that. Like we've seen avoidance. We've seen, oh, we're just not going to talk about it. And we've seen anger, <laughs> but we've never seen the third option, which is like, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hide anything. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you and I'm going to do it with nothing but kindness and love in my heart. And that's a rare, a very rare thing. Yeah. Um, like I, I think you, you brought up some really good points. It, it's one, I think it's just, it's just difficult to do because you know, you're, you, you can feel vulnerable. You can feel embarrassed. You, there's all these emotions that are uncomfortable for one. Yeah. But like you said, I think back to the examples I had growing up by adults that were around me. And so, so avoidance, I saw a lot of avoidance. I learned that one yeah. really well. Um, <laughs> I'm not proud of it, but I do it very well. Right. I just don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to deal with it or I'm going to deny it. Um, sure. I, I, I saw some anger, right. That's how we're going to deal with it. And so, like you said, having that example of open, honest, loving communication is not, the most prevalent way you see, you see in, in your home in society a lot of times. So just, just having to learn that is difficult to begin with, but then add in those hard emotions. And it's no wonder people don't like to do it. Oh, it's so hard. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the, that's the problematic. Well, I wouldn't say problematic. Those, those are some of the things that people deal with that are, that are difficult or they may be going through a difficult time. So, Talk to me a little bit about what can what can you benefit from? Say your marriage is actually pretty good. You're in a good relationship. You're pretty loving. Um, is there still benefits that could be had by by going and keep like maintenance through counseling? Yeah, absolutely. Um, marriage has infinite possibility. So so you know if you are one of these couples that you figured out how to have a friendship. Um, and you figured out how to be kind to each other. First of all, I mean, you're in the top 10% already. I mean, good for you. And second of all, there's so much more. So um, a lot, um, 
I guess on an average level, the average Mormon, the average LDS marriage is actually very weak sexually. And so there's a lot of, of sexual growth that can happen. And that opens up a whole world. You know, the best sex of our life actually happens in our 50s and 60s, not in our 20s. And so there's just there's just a lot of options, a lot of things to explore there. And, and it brings a, a lot of richness to a marriage. So that's a place to explore. Um, you know, if you have a really good marriage, but maybe you're struggling with parenting, then that's somewhere to explore. Um, one thing that I really like to work on people with since you brought up avoidance is let's practice being more present with each other. Um, what does it feel like, you know, just, just can I be more aware of how much of myself am I bringing to you on a daily basis? How, how much am I opening myself up to you and how, much am I allowing myself to be truly present in in the situation as opposed to only bringing half of myself or only kind of sort of being there? I and mean, we all have smartphones and we give our smartphones 10 times more attention than we give our partners. It's not that you want to, you know, be in deep conversation with your partner for, for five hours a day, but some partnerships don't have five minutes a day. And mm-hmm. so that, that really is something to look at. Well, and that's a really good point for this this audience because there are a lot of people with, with really high tempo careers, like deployments, TDYs. And so the time you are together, if you can benefit from being more present mm. during those times, um, cause you're already starting kind of behind the curve, yeah. so to speak. Cause you, oh, yeah, absolutely. um, and we talk and, about, and you want to, you want to create it you want to create a relationship that's so strong that if you have to leave for six months or a year, you know, that, that requires an incredibly strong marriage to, to make it through that intact. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if that is the, the reality of your life, um, I mean, the reality of my marriage, my wife was glad when I deployed, <laughs> that, that was, the, that was the place we were, you know, there was a bit of a relief. She's like, okay, I don't have to deal with them for a few months. Yay. <laughs> but, but that's not the ideal that, that was, mm-hmm. that was the truth of, of who we were at the time. That's not the kind of marriage that anyone wants. And she was also glad when I came back. So it's not like we hate yeah, each other, yeah. but, but there was this sense of like, I mean, I'm pretty intense. I'm, I'm sure you haven't noticed that yet. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lot to handle. So, so there is, um, there is some truth to that idea. And, you know, at the time when that happened, I um, I had a tendency to kind of approach my wife in a childlike way where I wanted her to regulate my emotions for me. And so, you know, there was reason for her to want to have a little relief from me because I didn't know how to take care of myself emotionally. And I kind of turned to her to kind of take care of me the way a parent would take care of a child, mm. which is a pretty common pattern in marriage. Um. You know, one thing I noticed, um, so I, I did the deployments, you know, the long-term deployments, um, six months here, you know, like, like I was just gone. Um, so I, I did some of those, but what I found was more difficult for our marriage was I had a, I had a, uh, I held a position, um, where I was TDY a lot. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't just gone. I would go and come back. But I'd go for a couple of weeks and I'd come back for a couple of weeks. And I'd go. And that seemed to be more of a struggle for us than me just being yeah. gone. Cause at least it was consistent when I was gone. Yeah. Um, One thing that's really useful in that kind of situation is we're not very good at figuring out what exactly is happening. So you said it's a struggle. So, so my guess to what would happen, and you can tell me if this is accurate, but 
you would come back into the home and you would feel some kind of physical discomfort, probably in your chest or your stomach. Um, does that, do you remember feeling anything like that? Like a tightness in the chest or maybe a, a pit in your stomach or some kind of like heaviness? Um, well, probably I'm not, I don't know for, for me, all I would always get my stress. I get, I guess I carry it in my, in my head. I overthink everything. And so, okay. so yeah, I would, right. I would feel physical, but it was, I was always in my head. Like when I come home, I know I'm going to have to do this or has she done that? Like I would always just sit there and, and zone out and be in yeah. my own head. And, and what I would suggest to you is that there's a, so you're talking about the cognitive level where you're thinking thoughts. And what I do with clients is I always urge them to find the physical dimension of what's happening to them. So the question I ask, they, I, I won't shut up about this. I say this every session and they just get so sick of it. <laughs> but the question is, what is happening in your body? And let's just talk about what is really real. What's real is what's happening in my body. And and I'll stand by that. And so like for most of my marriage, um, I, I felt distress. I felt relationship distress more days than not. Most of the time I, I was not really content in my relationship and I didn't have the skills or understanding to realize that this was a physical problem happening in my body. And I was the one who could take care of my body. Instead, I thought this is a relational problem and my wife needs to do something about it. And so for 20 years, I tried to get her to fix this and it didn't work. And <laughs> the fact is it never was her problem to solve. So the way I understand it now is that when we're, when we're born as children, we have these incredibly strong survival instincts and the survival instinct says maintain an appropriate level of emotional connection with your parent. That's what the survival instinct says, because if you don't, you might die. And that is true. If I'm two years old and I don't have an appropriate emotional connection with my parent, I might die because I can't take care of myself at all, physically or emotionally. Like children have, have no emotional regulation skills. They have no, they're not really good at, at caring for themselves in any way because they're children. Okay. Fast forward into adulthood. You know, now I'm 40 years old. I can take care of myself physically. I can take care of myself emotionally, but my instinct still says, go to the most important person in your life and get them to care for you. Because if you don't, you might die. That's what my body's telling me. And I feel that as like this incredibly intense pain in my chest. And other people might sense a heaviness or a pit in the stomach or, or an emptiness or something, but, but it's almost always right along the center line of the front of the body. And what I've learned is to when I feel that, I'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling a survival instinct. My body is saying that my survival is at stake and my body is lying to me because I'm, I'm in my forties. I have a job. I have a house. I can totally take care of myself. I do not need any other adult to care for me. And yet my body is telling me something else. And so what I do is I first just kind of, I call it, um, Notice, accept love, or is it notice, notice, accept love. So I notice what's happening in my body. Um, I have a pain in my chest. I accept that. I'm like, I, I commit to feeling this feeling. I am willing to feel what my body needs to feel. And then I try to take kind of like this deep parental love, like the way I would hold my child if my child were, were feeling this pain. I take that and I'll put my hands on my chest and I'll say, it's okay. I'm here for you. I've got you. And, and what I'm doing is I'm accessing the parental part of me 
to comfort the child part of me. And in reality, this is all happening in the brain, but there is a part of me that needs to be comforted and needs to be supported. And the only person in the world who can do that is me. Hmm. You're, you're getting deep here, man. (laughs) No, it's great stuff. Like I've, I've just, I've fallen in my mind and thinking about, you know, identifying times where I'm stressed and what causes that and, and what do I truly need? You know, um, so, so what you're saying is really good. It's got me, it's got me really thinking and, and processing through even like my day to day stuff. So my work, um, I've been in manufacturing since I got out of the military. Um, and I progressed up, I was ops manager. And so I was looking at, I could, I, I had to make a decision. I wanted to either go plant manager and, you know, start running my own facility or whatever, or. I could scale back because I was always stressed and it felt like everything fell to me. And I know I, I did that to myself. So I did, I took a step back and now I have a role where it's still a good role, but I don't have 50 people who report to me. And so it, it took a lot of the outside stressors from me, the things that I thought were causing me all this stress, but in this new role, I still feel the same types of things when I'm at work dealing with stuff, even though it's different. Um, it's not as, it's not all the outside stressors, but for some reason, maybe it's just, I don't like work. I don't know what it is, but I've always thought about that and why it's obviously internal is what I've come to decide. Kind of what you're describing. It's internal. No one's going to take care of it for me. It's not. Exactly. And so, yeah, I'm just running through a lot of things you just said. I'm, I'm running, running them through my mind to see how I can, how I can start approaching that. Um, yeah. But I, I guess it, it's a, it is our own work. And a lot of it is, you know, just realizing that, you know, the brain is not just one. I mean, it is one organ, but it has lots of different parts to it. And each of those parts interprets the world differently. And, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to create balance between the parts. And the most common imbalance we have is that the child, you know, the brain develops, kind of piece by piece. And so the first part to develop is a child brain and the child brain only cares about survival. It's just about survival and survival and learning, I guess, to a certain extent, but it's mostly survival. And so if your survival brain is taking over all the time, that's an unbalanced brain because as an adult, you know, your survival is just not in question almost ever as a child, your survival is in question because you're so small and so powerless and you need relationships to survive. As an adult, we don't need relationships to survive. We want to have relationships, but it's no longer a survival question. So, you know, what I'm doing as a counselor is I'm helping my clients create a a better balance where that child brain isn't going anywhere. It's still there, but it's not going to be the one in charge. It's just going to be there taking kind of a back seat, you know? And so you'll feel this, and I still feel this tension in my chest. Um, We were at Big Tahoe over Christmas, and I went and got McMuffins for the family and I brought back the McMuffins and I apparently got the wrong kind of McMuffin for my <laughs> wife and she was in a bad mood and she got a little bit upset. Like she wasn't really mean, but she got a little bit upset. You know, everybody knows I like this little McMuffin and, and my chest erupted in like a fireball of flames. Like it felt so horrible. And, and so five years ago, I would have blamed that on her. You know, mm-hmm. she could just be nicer, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and she could have been nicer. Sure. Also, 
does it really make sense that I would have like a level nine out of 10 discomfort because she was unhappy with the McMuffin? Right. It doesn't make it. It makes no sense at all. But that was my reality. My body really did react that way. And, and luckily, you know, I, I've grown to the point where I can be like, okay, this is a problem for me to handle and mm-hmm. I can take care of myself. And so I did. And I kind of, it is this unusual. I mean, this used to happen to me. This used to be my daily experience and my, my body used to experience it all the time. Now it's pretty rare. So it's kind of interesting to, to live through it again. But I went through that for about 12 hours wow. because of the McMuffin <laughs> where, where my body was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I was just like, okay, I hear you. I feel you. It's okay. And I'm here for you. And we're just going to, we're just going to go through this. And about 12 hours later, I was all better, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was a very interesting day. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I don't know. I, I backing up just a little bit. I think one of the things you, you said that I, I wanted to comment on is you talk about, um, the child brain and, and our relationships when we're older. So, you know, you're, you're in your forties, you've raised some kids or, or they're, they're getting close to being, you know, adults. Or whatever. So, so your attention is, is backing off them a little bit, but you're, you still are in this kind of looking to your spouse's as a, as a means for survival instead of um, looking at that relationship as something to be enjoyed, I guess. Um, exactly. You're yeah. treating it as a need, a personal need, um, instead of, of treating it as, as an enjoyable relationship where you can share your your love and your care for someone else. Yeah. Um, there's, um, you know, you remind me, so there's an LDS philosopher named Adam Miller who, who talks about the nature of love. And, and you kind of reminded me of this because he says, love is not something that we can get. And the kind of way I think of it is I think in childhood, I think it is something we can get. I think, I think in childhood, I can be loved and I can seek love and I can receive love. And I think in adulthood, love is, is something more that we participate in. It's mm-hmm. like, I can choose to participate in love or I can choose to not participate in love but I can't extract love from another person. You know, like when I was a kid and I skinned my knee and I ran to my mom and my mom literally made it all better. Like it was magic. And that does not happen in adulthood. Um, you know, if I skin my knee and ran to my wife and say, make it better, there's nothing she can do. Mm-hmm. Like it just, the magic is gone. I'm <laughs> yeah. not a kidding. Right. And, and, and there's, um, I think it has to do with, you know, when I was a kid, I was, I was small and helpless and dependent. And my mom was large and powerful and capable and more mature than I was. And so that kind of worked, you know, that energy differential works. And, and as an adult, that's just not true anymore. There, there isn't anyone who could offer me that kind of healing because I'm the adult now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's coming back to this idea of participating in love. If, if I'm trying to get love from my wife, I'm going to be trying to get love from my wife for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. it's never going to happen. I just don't think it's possible. And so, and I did try for two decades and it didn't work. So, yeah, and um, and I think in a way, um, I could be wrong, but in a way, I think it's treated like like dependence, uh, like an addiction. So, as you're trying to get that love, you have to increase the levels to get the same same amount, and so you're you're constantly escalating to try and get that same response. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so it, it kind of creates. It, it just builds on itself. I could see that as being um, kind of an issue. Well, and it, it's not just, and it is, I mean, you're onto something there because it's not just that you're trying to, you are ramping up the levels. You're trying to get more and more and more because it doesn't work. But mm-hmm. the problem is that it doesn't work and it's not my wife's fault because mm-hmm. 
because I mean, my wife is is kind and loving to a certain extent, but if I were able to ratchet that up to a hundred, if she became the most kind and loving woman in the world, it still would not do for me what it did for me when my mom helped mm-hmm. me as a kid. Like yeah. that is never coming back. You're and just so chasing something I, that's not going to happen. <laughs> exactly, and so so for me to blame that on her as I did for two decades, you know, is is not very accurate. Yeah, yeah. This it's. It's a crazy world when you start getting in, into the brain and cognition, emotions, like, whew. Yeah. Let's shift yeah. gears for just one second, if you don't mind. Sure. I wanted to ask you, because I, I want to spend some time here, because I, I really like this part of it and asking people questions like this. So so you've, just your practicum or your your your, the time you've been talking with couples and helping couples, even before you became licensed, can you give us some of your joys like like how have you been able to take and 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 find happiness in helping others oh there's so much happiness um i'll just i had a couple in my office last night and or yesterday well late in the in the early evening um so there's a couple i've seen them oh maybe three or four times not a lot of times um but they 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 have they have a decent marriage. So they're not, some couples come in just complete crisis, you know, you know, there's domestic violence or there's infidelity or whatever. Just kind of a normal couple dealing with normal marriage problems, which we all have. But, but what I did with them last night is, you know, your typical couple setup is you have the couple on the couch and the therapist sitting across from them. And I usually do that for about 20 minutes. Hey, let's switch seats. And so what I do is I sit on the couch and I have one of them sit in my chair and I have them scoop the chair up way, 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 way close. And then, then I have them gaze into each other's eyes. <laughs> so, so what I'm doing is because I want to, I want to help them experience what is it like to be truly present with each other um, and calm yourself down at the same point. And so, so she was chewing gum nervously and he's, you know, I have them scoot up next to each other and his knees are just jittering. You know, he's, his feet are tapping, his knees are jittering, and they both have their arms crossed in front of their bodies. <laughs> She's chewing her gum and I'm like, okay, look into each other's eyes and they're like, start laughing. <laughs> so you can get a sense for the energy, right? This mm-hmm. nervous energy, this discomfort, like this is really uncomfortable, which is fine. That's where we start. And so we did a few breaths together. I, I had them do some communication exercises. And then I just noticed, I said, hey, I noticed your arms are both crossed. I'm like, what if you open up your body posture by putting your arms off to your sides? And so they both did. And then I said, oh, I noticed that you're bouncing your leg. Um, what if you, you know, tried to sit still? So he did. And then I said, oh, I noticed you're chewing gum. You know, what if you stopped chewing gum? And so they just kind of start settling down, settling down and just relaxing. And then I, they started breathing together, looking into each other's eyes. And I had them start just gently caressing, taking turns, gently caressing each other's hands. And so they have, she had her hands on her knees and he was just gently caressing first the left hand and the right hand. I said, I want you to look inside the the part of you that feels the most love for this woman. I want you to communicate that by the way you touch her hand. And so they're just sitting there, they're breathing together. They're looking into each other's eyes and he's gently caressing her hands. And then they just sit and do that. And then we did some, some, you know, some communication exercise. So they practice talking back and forth. They practice touching back and forth. They practice breathing together, but we don't even realize in marriage that we're just used to being on edge around each other all the time, hmm. I mean, in, including when we have sex. We're, you know, we think of sex as sex should be intimate and relaxing. Well, it's not. It, it's neither intimate nor relaxing. It's incredibly anxiety provoking and quite distant most of the time. And so, 
you know, I'm, I'm helping them learn what does it feel like to be in intimate connection with another human being and feel calm at the same time? Because that's not an experience most of us have ever had. Mm -hmm. Or, or, I mean, if we're lucky enough to have, it's not something that, that happens often or that we are striving for. Um, right. Or, 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 or that we are aware of. Exactly. You know, exactly. We, we don't really, it's just, it's like the water you're swimming in. You know, if you're a fish and you swim in water, do you know what water is? So, so if I'm a husband and I live in anxiety, do I know what anxiety is? Well, until about six years ago, the answer was absolutely not. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I mean, I was officially diagnosed disorder before I really knew what anxiety was. And so it's just kind of, it's this thing that we just get used to. I've been that way my whole life. Um, I hit it really well and it would come out and kind of bite me in the butt in, in high tension situations or in my marriage. Um, but we don't really know what it is. We, we don't really pay attention to it. We're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. that That's perfect example because, well, I mean, there's all, all kinds of ways to illustrate these things. Um, one of the, one of the things that came to my mind when you're talking about that of, of it's just always been that way. So we don't even realize it is, um, I was in a ward, um, for a while and, I was always like, I was always so critical of this ward because nobody wanted to volunteer. No one wanted to help. No one wanted to, you know, it, it just seemed a very closed off separate ward. There wasn't really any unity. And, and I just, I would always be like, why aren't people? And then just like always happens in, I always get taught lessons because I'm slow, I guess. You're um, human. <laughs> so, Finally, I got called to where I was sitting on the stand every Sunday and immediately, immediately when I looked out, just changing my physical perspective, looking out to the congregation versus sitting behind them. And I could see each one of their faces and I began to identify, oh, this person, I know that they take care of this widow regularly do everything for her and that and this person does this and i all of a sudden i got to see how much actual love there was for the members to towards one another and it was it was my problem right but just changing that physical per perspective to see them look at their faces in in on on sunday at church so it was happening i just didn't realize it because i didn't take the chance to be aware of it like i didn't i didn't I don't know. Well, you were stepping into the act of loving is what you were doing. Mm -hmm. So, so you were moving into the act of participating in love. And this is what Jesus taught about. And this is, this is the only thing Jesus taught about. It's, is like, are you going to take the action to change the way that you participate in the world in, in such a way that you participate in the world, the way Jesus participated in the world. And it's radically different from the normal way of participating in the world. Yeah. And, and I think what you're doing or, you know, counseling and, and coaching, like you're that that's a transition that's very hard. And people don't just know how to transition into um, living in the world that way with that perspective or, right. or yes, seeing their, their spouse that way. So that's yeah. really, I think, what you're talking about um, to sum it up in a simple way is you're helping that transition. And and you're very right. The only person that can make that transition is the per that that individual? However, right. yes. they need to be helped along in a lot of cases. They don't even realize they need to be, um, or or can. So, sure, yeah. 
But I don't think it always has to be a counselor. I, I think I think that can be really helpful. Well, okay, I think it's probably the most like really a counselor is probably the most helpful for most people. It's been the most helpful for me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have also benefited a lot from reading books. Um, I have some recommended books on my website, which I'll mention at the end. But you know, there's some really good books. Um, there's some amazing podcasts out there. Um, you know, there's some discussion groups that I've been in that have been really helpful. So. I think that what matters is, am I prioritizing learning how to love? Mm-hmm. Am, am I putting my energy into becoming more capable of loving? In, in culturally, we just kind of have this idea that everybody knows how to love. And I strongly disagree with that idea. I, I think that in general, children do not know how to love. In general, adolescents do not know how to love. If you have any teenagers in your home, you can attest to this. <laughs> and And in general, honestly... Adults don't are, are not very good at participating in love or doing love or giving love. It's just, I mean, there's a reason Jesus taught what he t- because we needed to hear it. And mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to do. It doesn't come naturally. Um, it, it's a skill that you develop. It would be like saying, well, everybody knows how to play the violin. Well, guess what? That's not true. And if you say everybody knows how to love, I think it's, I think it's just as false. And unless you have put the time and effort and to becoming capable of loving another person, you know, then you probably don't know, know how to love. Now, there is an exception, which is if you were so lucky to be a, to, to have really, truly amazing, exceptional parents, mm-hmm. then your parents taught you how to love. And and I had good parents. Um, but you really like and this. This comes back to us being parents, because the greatest gift we can give our children is the work we do on ourselves. So it's not, there's nothing you can tell your children that's going to help them along the way, but the person you are helps them along the way. Like my two youngest children have benefited from having a much better father than my two oldest children had. And so that's, you know, kind of the the benefit of being the younger in the family is that I have focused intently on becoming more capable of love in my later years. And, and for my two oldest children, it was kind of too late for that because they were already basically adults by then. Um, but my youngest children have a better shot at that. So, so but, they will get some of that for free is what I'm saying. Yeah. But I do want to point out, cause I, I hope you'll agree with this. I think you'll agree with this. So I agree. I, I follow along and I, I, um, but it's never t- too late to start because even as adults, we can still look to our parents. We can still look to even other examples around us. So I just, sometimes when, when we, we make comments like that. Like, I know what, I know what you mean, but sometimes I feel like, um, we're, we're writing our older kids off, but that's not true. Right. We, we, they're still going to oh, be no, able to, of course yeah. Not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think mean, my I, oldest son is home. He, he came home for, for Christmas and he and I still, yeah. we, we still spend a lot of time together. Um, <laughs> I, I can't make up and I wasn't a bad father. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was a good father. It's just being a parent is incredibly difficult. The only thing that's harder than parenting is being married. <laughs> and and marriage is really hard. So yeah. So yeah, I was. I just think of that sometimes. So that's my that's that's what I tell myself. My my oldest daughter, um, she is wonderful. But I feel the same way. Like man, I did. Uh, there were so many things I could have done better that I learned, 
and and perhaps I did them better later with my son, but I tell myself it's it's okay. We can we're, we're, she's still going to be fine because she can still see the the new me and stuff. So I tell myself that maybe as a comfort to myself. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it just that we're. I mean, parenting demands so much of us, and, and, and it's so hard. And, you know, the greatest challenge in life is growing up more than your parents grew up. That's that's the hardest thing. And so well, that's, what's, that's what's asked of us. You know, yeah. if you're going to – if we're going to, you know, live up to, to who we want to be, it means that we have to become more mature than our parents were. Um, it's a difficult challenge. Yeah, so th- that's a good place to kind of round it out. Um, so the benefits of of counseling and a marriage um, take us around a little bit of the 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 core effects is a better relationship with your spouse. But what are the, some of the added benefits that you can see with some of the people that that maybe you've you've worked with? Um, one example being, you know, it has a good effect on the children, right? Oh yeah, that's that's like. And that's honestly one of the reasons I'm so passionate about my job is, you know, if I can do just a few sessions with a couple, then those ripples are going to go out to many generations afterwards. And I used to work in an agency where we contracted with the county and, and the county would bring in all these children who had problems at school and I was supposed to do therapy with the children. Um, well, I would much rather work with the parent than the child because I just have a lot more leverage working with the parent than I do with the child. Like a 10-year-old child in a broken family it has very little power to change the system. The parent has so much more power. And so when I work with a couple, you know, if I'm a kid growing up with a mom and dad who really love each other and really respect each other, that's an incredible gift. And so if I can help, like the couple I was working with yesterday, if I can help them just just open their hearts to each other, you know, 10% more, then that's going to benefit their children for their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a powerful thing to do. And, and that bleeds out to even the even the parents. So in in my case, um, I've been in a weird position um, lately, but my relationship uh, has been really good, which I'm very grateful for. And it's yeah. my my mother and her, and and her husband. They they came and lived with us for a year. They stayed with us for a year. And we could yeah. see a huge difference from the from day one when they got here and and when they when they left. And I'm not saying it was me and my spouse made this incredible change in them, but the environment of our home was very loving and very supportive and and completely different than where they were coming from. So that's beautiful. Even a strong marriage with it can benefit parents. It can benefit friends. Like everybody that surrounds that couple is going to get at least that example, right? Yes. And, and that leads into a very interesting thing, which <laughs> the real question, well, not the real question. One of the big questions people have is like, well, what if I want to prove my marriage and my partner doesn't want to prove our marriage? Oh, we should have so, started here. <laughs> this is the question. This is the question, right? Because we all think the other person is the problem, yeah. which isn't true, but that's what we all think. So whatever. Um, the thing is, so you just, you just led into something very powerful. It's hard to be an immature person when you live with a mature person. Mm. Really, really hard. And so, you know, let's say theoretically, if I were married to an immature, an immature woman, right? The, the power that I have to help change that situation is to grow myself up. 
And if I can become more calm, more loving, more courageous, more kind, it makes it really uncomfortable for her to show up in the relationship as a child if I'm showing up in the relationship as an adult. Now, if I continue to show up in the relationship as a child, then that continues to, you know, make it easy for her to show up as a child in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So you get all those childlike behaviors that make marriage so miserable. It's just so easy to say, well, if she would just do this and this and this and everything would be better. And that is true. Also, there's nothing I can do about that. So the reverse is also true. If I would just change my own behavior in the relationship, it would make it a lot easier for her to show up as a better partner. Yeah. She still gets her choices. There's no guarantees. This is not a magic bullet, but your chances are really good. Um, and, and it's really hard for us to see the way that we can. Well, let me rephrase. It's easier for me to see my wife's contribution to our marriage dysfunction than it is for me to see my own contribution. And so, so if I'm seeing, you know, an 80, 20 split in her favor, the reality is it's actually 50, 50, almost always. Mm-hmm. And I just can't see my part. Yeah, that's, that's a really good thought. I mean, so even if, like you say, there's, there's those challenges where you can't, you just can't talk a spouse into getting, getting, going to counseling or, or doing, you know, they, they think everything's fine and, but there's still some benefit if you yeah. improve yourself. So that's, that's some good insight. Um, I had never and really thought about that. The way I would that. handle that situation, if you have a, a spouse who doesn't want to go to counseling is I would phrase it as an invitation. So I would say, um, I would first do the work of finding a good counselor. And so um, you could say it like this. Um, I have made a list of five counselors or three counselors or whatever. I am going to interview each of them and I'm going to try to find the one that I think is the best fit for us. I invite you to, to do that with me. And so basically what you're saying is like, I have chosen to, to take an action that I think will be helpful for us. I would like you to do that with me. And if you say no, I'm going to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So it's an invitation. Mm-hmm. Invitation, please RSVP. Let me know. Are you coming or are you not? Because I'm, you know, I'm going because you're going to do the action regardless. Mm-hmm. You don't need the other person to come with you. And so, so you go and you find your counselor, your relationship expert, the person who can help you become a better participant in your relationship. And then you either go and you work on your relationship by yourself, and which which you can do more than you think you can do, or you go and you work on your relationship with your partner, which is even better. Either way, you're going to become more capable of loving the person that you live with. Yeah. And then your actions are under control. You're a little bit more calm. So you're also offering that, like you said, if I'm more of an adult, then it's harder for them not to be an adult. So that that's great. We just, we have no idea how much we enable immature behavior on the other side. Like we do it all the time. So yeah, it's uh, it happens constantly, and I have no idea how much childish behavior I I just do all the time. <laughs> I'm sure everyone does. That child uh, brain is still inside your head. You know, it's still there. It's not. Ne- it's never going away. It will always be part of you. The question is, you know, can you balance that out? Can you strengthen your adult brain, mm-hmm. the part of you that's capable of love? Can you strengthen that so that the child brain isn't in charge? Yeah, that brain can be there. It just needs to not be driving the car so much. And I have found a way to channel some of the childish brain. Um, I put up a zip line this this summer. Um, oh, awesome! Built a tree house. Um, there you go. Yeah. I, mean, 
I'm taking the good parts. Some, some healthy, <laughs> some healthy childish behavior. Yeah, there. I'll I'll get that as my outlet, so I I don't absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this has been actually very, very um, eye opening for me. Um, a lot of times when we think counseling, it's changed a lot over the years. Really has. I remember when I was a kid, counseling was like something. It wasn't a bad word, but it was. It wasn't something you know. You think our our we're not on the doorsteps of divorce, so we don't need to go to counseling, right? And yeah. it's changed, which is really good over the years. It's not seen so much as as a last resort as it is a way to get a to, to get and maintain a healthy marriage, which is a really good um, change. Absolutely, and, um, and you brought up the word coaching, which really is you know. If you have a baseball team, you don't hire the coach after you've lost all your games. Right? <laughs> exactly. You hire the coach on day one. And so, I mean, I, I am a licensed therapist. I would probably consider myself more of a coach. It's the role I take. Um, and so, so I mean, yeah, whatever. I, I chose the therapy path because I had time to go to school. And mm-hmm. there's, there's reasons. Um, you know, becoming a therapist gives – there's all this structure that supports you. You can get all your practice hours and supervision and training and all this stuff. So – it is possible to do the same work as a coach. Um, it's a little bit more more getting there because you have to market yourself and mm-hmm. you have to, you know, develop. It, it's easier to do it. It's not easier. Well, it's more of a defined parent path as yeah. as, a, as a as a clinician than as a coach. But what I do with couples is more coaching them. Well, yeah. Ultimately, it's their decision at the end of the day, right? You can't force anything on them, so. Yeah. Um, they have to and make that decision. Really, the, the only difference is, you know, as a therapist, I'm licensed to to diagnose and treat mental disorders, which I really don't do much of. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I see my work as um, walking down the path with the client, not not saying you have been diagnosed with the following illness. Right. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really see the world that way. So that being said, most couples would prefer to work with a licensed clinician as opposed to just a coach. So yes, it makes it I easier agree. for me to, to find couples. I think that might be changing. I think people might be opening up to the idea of, um, I guess I would phrase it this way. I think a really good coach is better than a mediocre therapist. Maybe that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah, I, I could, I can agree with that. I can get on board with yeah. that one. Um, yeah. but like you say, with the added benefit of, of some of the other licensing, um, plus, if if you were ever needed to refer someone to to get tested for maybe a serious mental disorder or something like that, you have a lot sure, more yeah. um, credibility and than a, a coach that just says, "Oh, I think you may." Yeah, have this. and, and so. really, the credibility is beneficial. When mm-hmm. people see me, you know, for for good or for ill, they're like, "Oh, yeah. look at those letters after his name. He must know what he's talking about." <laughs> yeah, so. put some letters <laughs> behind it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, James, I, I I can't thank you enough for coming on, and and we covered a lot of stuff. But there's so much more. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of questions. So um, it may be worth maybe we'll circle back um, for sure. I'm, I'm sure you're probably willing to to give us a little bit more of your time, I hope. Yeah, I'll come back on. <laughs> um, so now I'd really like to – well, first, I, I really want to thank you again for your time. But I want you to give us some information on how we might be able to get hold of you. Um, for follow-up stuff, questions, people, people are interested. So if you could give us that, that information, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. I'm going to give you a, a website, which is, it's jameslmft.com. So just jameslmft.com. And it's going to redirect you to jamesmchristensen.com. 
with the uh, Utah spelling. But just go jameslmft.com. That's how you'll find me. I have my blog on there. Did you find it? It sounds like you're typing. Me? I'm writing. Yeah. So I take notes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have my blog on there. I have my recommended books. Um, I I offer you know, therapy within California. I offer coaching, you know, anywhere in the world, if you want to sign up for coaching, uh, so you can book me there. And I blog about things all the time And my, my, I hate social media, but my goal for 2024 is to, to get on TikTok as much as I hate saying those words. So, so I may eventually, I, I, I hope to start posting on TikTok and Instagram just because I, I have, I guess I kind of feel a calling to reach a lot of people. And that's the only way to do that. So, Thank you so much. I um I'm I will um be pulling this up for sure. And and you know, the great thing about all of this is everything going online, social media, it does make it more accessible. That is one of the good benefits of it. Um like you said, yeah, and, if I live in New yeah. York and I want to talk to you about some coaching, I can access yeah. you all the way out in California. Sure. Yeah, and you can book me. I I prefer to work in person, but I also um do, you know, coaching via zoom. So I'm happy to do that. And I honestly, I love what I do. I'm super passionate about it. And I, I, I really take pride in working fast and I want you to see, I want you to see a change in your marriage after the first session. That's, that's my goal. I don't, I, I, I've heard to say, Oh, well let's work on this for a year and then we'll see how it goes. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't, I don't have a year. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I like, I like to change things fast. Well, I'm sure that's uh, uh, most people's goal anyways. So, um, okay. So that, that was James LMFT. 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 Yeah. James LMFT.com. You'll find me there. Okay. Perfect. So that's where we've hit our time. So I, I want to thank everybody else who, who came in, downloaded the episode, listened to the episode. Thanks for joining us for season two. Again, this is for the group by the group. So anybody who's interested in, wants to come on and share some of their their expertise or or where their favorite duty favorite duty station was um, jobs um, hobbies you have please reach out to us at lds.militarymembers at gmail.com military members being one word so lds.militarymembers at gmail.com you can reach me there you can dm me on uh the the group page so please let us know what topics interest you, or again, if you'd like to come on as a guest. And we look forward to an exciting season two. James, I appreciate your time, and we will talk to you later, hopefully. Um, And that's it for this episode. Again, thanks for, for listening, and go back and check out season one if you haven't done so already. That's it for this episode. Thank you all for joining us. And if you want to come on the show or know someone you would like to hear from, please shoot us an email at lds.militarymembers at gmail.com. So until next time, stay safe and thank you for your service.